But with freestyle motocross, like I've honestly had a concussion in practice before and they're like, well, are you good to go tonight? I was like, uh, yeah. I rode the show that night. There's not really, they leave it up to you basically. I think it's not like, like here, like I'll tell you, for instance, I was at X Games one year, um, I think in 2010 or 11 maybe. And uh, I broke my collarbone in practice during an event called Speed and Style. And so I, I went back to the medical tent and the doctor checked me out and he's like, yeah, you broke your collarbone. And so the ESPN people were there and they're like, whoa, are you still going to ride? And the doctor actually said, he goes, well, I can't stop you. Like, you're going to ride, you're going to do what you want to do. And I literally, I had a broken collarbone and they were going to let me ride anyway. Hey, this is Bo Bamberg, professional freestyle motocross rider with Nitro Circus. And you are listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life, but you can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Today I'm excited to bring you Bo Bamberg, uh, who is a pro freestyle motocross rider who has performed for five years around the world on the Nitro Circus Live Tour, where they do all sorts of wild tricks and flips and um, really put themselves in great danger, but they do a lot of safety precautions uh, to keep themselves safe uh, by doing all that stuff too. But he's also made 10 appearances uh, at the X Games. And Bo is also an avid guitar player who has played the national anthem at events, including in front of approximately 45,000 fans in 2011 as a part of the AMA Supercross opening ceremonies. And I actually just got finished watching a video that you and the Nitro Circus guys put together of the, the nine dumbest things we've ever done. And I just thought it was kind of a funny video, but um, maybe a good place to start off is what's the dumbest thing that you've done on a dirt bike? <laughs> well, you know, how, how much time do you got on this podcast? <laughs> uh, well, I think probably the dumbest idea I ever had um, was in 2003, I was riding at X Games, and the, in the best trick competition, I decided I wanted to try a backflip sterilizer, which is a you do a backflip and then you do a bar hop at the same time, and then you land kind of with your legs over the handlebars still. And okay. uh, I used to finish off all of my runs with that trick sterilizer, but just, you know, straight jump to a bar hop and then land with your feet over the bars. And I was like, uh, you know what? I think this might work. I got about a 50-50 shot, and I'm pretty confident I can land this. And uh, needless to say, I didn't. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I woke up about five minutes later on the Staples Center floor and didn't know where I was or who I was or anything like that. So. Luckily, I, re I recovered pretty quickly. I mean, I did break my wrist and my leg uh, during that crash, but, you know, it's a pretty average, pretty average, you know, day for a freestyle motocross rider. Damn. So you're saying that you've never tried that trick before you got to that event? Oh, yeah, never. And I, I literally, this was 2003, so I just learned how to flip about a week before I went to X Games. And uh, like I said, I, I always ended my runs with that sterilizer trick. And, you know, I was feeling really comfortable with backflips and I was like, oh, I got an idea. I'm going to try this. No one's ever thought of this. And uh, I thought the worst case scenario, I would just kind of land sitting on the bars. And what happens usually with that trick is you land 
And then if you're a little off balance or whatever, you just kind of fall off to the side, which had happened, you know, before. And I was like, I, you know, that, that's the worst case scenario. Right. And, uh, well, it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, damn. So, I mean, that's obviously you had, you just listed off three injuries from that one crash right there. So can you just, you know, take us through what your injury history has looked like or have you like stopped keeping track? Yeah, I, I really did, man. I stopped keeping track a long time ago. I mean, I, I've had so many injuries growing up playing sports. You know, I played all the traditional sports growing up and I skied and, uh, you know, I broke my leg for the first time ever when I was five years old skiing. And then, you know, fast forward years later, I've broken my right leg, I think seven times. Um, both my hands, my wrists, both collarbones several times, um, you know, several ribs. I broke my back twice. I've ripped my nose off my face twice. I've had what? several, several concussions. Um, <laughs> and the list just goes on and on and on. I mean, you know, it's you're always, I always think that like, hey, if I feel 100%, something's wrong with me. That That's like a crazy mentality to live in and, and perform at the level that that you do like on a consistent basis. So I guess let's break down some of these injuries. And, you know, I obviously had a rough bout with concussions. I know a lot of people who listen to this struggle with concussions, you know, on a daily basis. So you said you had multiple concussions and one that you told us the story of where you were knocked unconscious for five minutes. So, you know, what were the recoveries like from those concussions specifically? Like, were you able to bounce back pretty quick or? Yeah, I've never had any um, lasting effects. I I don't think anyway. Um, you know, I and, and I've been fairly lucky as far as motocross riders go with concussions. You know, I've had my fair share. And that one that I was telling you about at the Staples Center in two thousand three, that was definitely the worst one. That's the one where I was out for the longest, and I was actually like convulsing, I guess, on the ground. But it seems like when I came out of it, I was just I was right back to normal. You know, and I was more worried about my wrist and my leg. And, uh, you know, obviously I took it easy for, you know, several days after the concussion didn't do any, you know, activities mainly because my leg and my wrist, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't forced had, rest. yeah, as far as I know, I, I haven't had any lasting effects, um, that, that I notice anyway, you know? And that's interesting because I mean, people come on my podcast all the time who, you know, even have like one or two concussions and they're like debilitated for years at, at times. So it's interesting. It just goes to show you, like, you never know, um, you know, concussions kind of affect people differently and lucky for you, you haven't really had to deal with a lot of those post concussion like symptoms. Yeah. Well, uh, I think I'm maybe, curious. The, maybe the point is, is like, maybe I just wasn't that smart to begin with. I didn't have that many brain cells. So, uh, I don't think the, that's true. The one that, uh, the ones that I have left, you know, I mean, there's not that many in there, so they must be right in the middle. <laughs> the, the, the injury didn't affect them too much. You got a lot of padding in there, I guess. Yeah, that's it. Uh, no, I don't think that's true. But so is there like, you know, like in the NFL, there's like a concussion protocol and you have sports medicine staff on hand, you know, at these events to kind of take care of the injuries as they come and also kind of prepare the athletes to play injured if they need to. Is that is there a similar thing in freestyle motocross or um, your your standard motocross? No, I don't think there is. I mean, I'm not sure with racing, you know, the professional racing level, you know, they got such great support and they have the asterisk medical team or it might be the Alpine Stars medical team or whatever now, but 
it's usually the same guys and they're, they do a really good job of taking care of the racers. And, uh, you know, you, you see it all the time watching Supercross and like, oh, this guy crashed in practice and has a concussion, so he's not going to race tonight. This and that. But with freestyle motocross, like I've honestly had a concussion in practice before. And they're like, well, are you good to go tonight? And I was like, uh, yeah. And I rode the show that night. But uh, there's not really. And when they leave it up to you, basically, I think it's not like like here. Like I'll tell you, for instance, I was at X Games one year, um, I think in 2000 and. 10 or 11 maybe and uh i broke my collarbone in practice during an event called speed and style and so I, I went back to the medical tent and the doctor checked me out and he's like yeah you broke your collarbone and so the espn people were there and they're like well are you still gonna ride and the doctor actually said he goes well i can't stop you like you're gonna ride you're gonna do what you want to do and i literally i had a broken collarbone and they were gonna let me ride anyway how do you throw like a 250 pound bike around the air with a broken collar? Oh, I didn't. I didn't ride, but they were like, if you, you know, you're going to do whatever you want to do. So just, you know, we can't stop you. And then, yeah, it, so it, what do you think? Like, oh, what? Oh, no. I was going to say, by the time the pain actually set in and I realized, like, you know, you let it rest for 10 minutes and then you realize you can't pick up your arm, then you know, you got to tap out, you know? Right. That's an interesting point that I would like to come back to the whole idea of kind of tapping out but what do you think the discrepancy is between freestyle and the supercross where they they do the racing where they seem to have like a a system in place for kind of taking care of these injuries and not letting guys ride when maybe they you know could hurt themselves further um why do you think like it's okay in one area and not okay in in freestyle because i think in the racing world there's a lot more money involved and invested in these guys I mean, ever since they're little kids, these kids have been brought up and, you know, basically like scouted and trained and these companies pay like these, you know, the manufacturers and sponsors pay these guys huge, huge money and put tons of money in testing. And, you know, the bikes are stuff that, you know, normal people can't buy. And there's a huge team involved, you know, and they have a big plan. But with freestyle motocross, you're just an individual contractor. You're like, you know what I mean? You, you show up as you. No one, you know, you don't have like this, these big race teams and, you know, all these rules, you don't have the AMA, you don't have all this stuff that, you know, you have to, you have to go through to be a racer. So you just show up, you're just a guy that's going to jump a motorcycle for this company. And, you know, you're, you're kind of, I hate to say it, but you're kind of a disposable action figure, you know, <laughs> you're like, you're like, ah, if this guy gets hurt, they'll get a new one, you know? Right. And when you say that, like, it reminds me so much of kind of like what football players deal with all the time. Like, I, I know it's kind of an unfair comparison in some ways because a lot of these guys make like millions of dollars and they have contracts and stuff like that. But it's the same way that football players, like they, they structure those contracts that way with like not a lot of guaranteed money. It's because there's a high incident rate of injury. And is it safe to assume that there's a higher incident rate of injury in freestyle versus supercross? I don't think so. To be honest with you, I had a, I've had a lot more success staying healthy, riding freestyle because you're out there by yourself. You can, you only do what you know you can do and you don't have to worry about 20 other guys trying to pass you, trying to beat you, trying to pass those guys that don't want to get passed. You know what I mean? Like the, how many crashes do you see in the first turn at the supercross race? almost every week it's crazy that's like the most hectic part of the race and i mean 
I crashed so many times in racing, not because of something I did, because of something someone else did on the track, and I landed on them, or they hit me coming into a corner, or crossed a you know crossed a line on a jump, and I hit them in the air, stuff like that. But when you're riding freestyle, and freestyle I think is a lot more safer too, because you know we mostly use metal ramps, and the ramps are so smooth. There's no ruts in them. There's no bumps in them. You know, you don't have to worry about a kicker at the top of the ramp to throw you over the bars. And basically, like, my mentality has always been, like, I'm going to go out there and just do what I know that I can do. Um, minus the sterilizer flip crash, <laughs> where I just <laughs> thought I'd throw caution to the wind and try something new. But it's typically, I know what I can do, and I'm going to do that, you know, as safely as possible. Because obviously, I don't want to get hurt. I've been hurt. It sucks. But with racing, like you have to push it and say, like, if you're in the lead or whatever, and somebody's pressuring you, you get tired, you get arm pump, you get whatever, you're still going to be pushing it. You're going to be out of your comfort zone. And you have way, way more, you're way more likely to get hurt in a 20 lap race than you are in a two minute freestyle run. Yeah. I mean, those are all like awesome points that you made. So that was a really bad assumption that I, I made or thought, but I appreciate the, the insight into that. That's really uh good information there. So I know you said that you played multiple sports growing up, like the traditional style sports and also like the extreme sports. So I'm curious as to what the culture of toughness is like in freestyle motocross, maybe versus, um, Supercross versus football or whatever other sports you played, um, just because I feel like a culture of toughness is a, a definitely a contributor to the severity of my injury playing football. I was trying to tough out a concussion and almost, you know, I gave myself a brain hemorrhage because I continued to play with that. Um, so I'm curious, like, what your thoughts are on the culture of toughness in freestyle motocross, and you know what that, you know influences you to do maybe good or bad play you know ride injured or not yeah i mean i it, it's hard to say um with with that i can only speak for myself and well i mean i've seen other people too work through injuries and you know i think uh it, it all depends on the individual you know like what you feel like you can do or you know if you have a necessity like you know say like if you get hurt in practice or whatever you, some people will just be like oh yeah i'm not riding tonight or whatever but like for me personally, it's always been like, well, I have to pay my mortgage this month. So I'm going to give it hell. You know what I mean? I'm going to go out there and like do whatever I can to get a check to keep, you know, my career, go not only my career, but just to keep my livelihood going and pay, you know, my mortgage and my health insurance and my whatever. And I think, right. it, I think so, the, the culture of toughness, I think, I don't, I don't know if this is exactly what you mean, but I mean, I think it's, I think it's very high in freestyle motocross because we, we all push through injuries and we all, you know, like I said, um, it's kind of like MMA fighting or whatever. Like you talk to an MMA fighter and he's like, you kind of said like what I said earlier, <clears throat> you know, if you, if you ever feel a hundred percent, like you think something's wrong or like nobody ever goes into a fight at a hundred percent, you know, if you train that hard and you basically fight, you know, somebody every day for six weeks training for a fight, you're going to show up with some injuries and stuff. But, you kind of have to block it out and you have to get in there and do your job. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of pressure to, to ride injured in that exact situation. Like you're trying to like survive out there. Um, so you got to make the money. So I, I just thought of a question when you said that, so say you get hurt in practice and you need to perform to get your check. Like, do you like sell out or do you pick maybe a, 
a, a trick that um, isn't as dangerous or is like more uh, consistent for you to kind of uh, account for that injury? Oh, for sure. You have to adjust what you can do. Like say if you hurt your arm or something and you need that arm to do a certain grab trick or you have to extend your arm back or something like that, then obviously you're going to have to take that trick out of your run. Um, and switch it up with something else or you just grit your teeth and you do it you know if like if it's a crowd pleaser if you know it's one of your big things um, then you try it and if you can't do it then it's either going to suck or you're just going to screw up your run but you know it just depends on how bad you want it I guess okay do you think that compared to a sport like MMA or football do you think it's almost easier to like perform injured on a bike because you're using like a machine? Um, and it just depends on what you hurt, but I do think it's easier because you only have to deal with yourself and your machine and your machine's not really working against you. Like with an MMA fighter, if you go in there injured, you have a guy that wants to, you know, beat the shit out of you basically. Right. And you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Like if you're hurt, that's, that adds a whole new danger thing to like, you know, you have someone else trying to hurt you. You know what I mean? Or like in football, you have, you know, 10 or 11 other guys trying to take you down. But with freestyle, you, like I said, you can just do what you can do. You know what I mean? Like it, say if I get hurt or something like that, like I, I recently, well, not even recently, but I'm still dealing with a shoulder injury that I've had for years that I didn't have time to get fixed because it, the doctor said it was like a six month thing. And I just didn't have, I couldn't take off work for six months. And so I basically, I tore all the connective tissue that connects your bicep to your shoulder. And uh, the doctor's like, yeah, I can sew it back on, but you have to keep your arm in a sling for this long. And then you can't move it for this long. And it's like a whole six month deal. And I was like, oh, I can't do it, man. I, I got to, I have a tour I have to go on in two weeks. And so I'm just going to grit my teeth and deal with it. And is that like a a very, I mean, it sounds painful, but is it like more of a pain thing or like a function thing? Like it's, if it's, your bicep is. It's both really. It's a, it was very like out of all the injuries I've had in my career. And this was the dumbest by far because I literally fell over in a corner on the track going about 20 miles an hour. And uh, I was wearing a neck brace at the time. Uh, it's kind of like to prevent your neck from compressing. and. Uh, but what it does is it keeps your neck stable, but when your shoulder goes up, it stops your shoulder, but your arm will keep going kind of thing. So that's what tore. Right. And uh, so yeah, it like puts it in like a different position. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like in, it was like one of the most painful things I've ever experienced. And uh, I couldn't lift my arm and I literally had to go on tour in Europe two weeks after this happened. And I kind of showed up on tour and I kind of told our tour manager, I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to try. But. I'm not guaranteeing that I'm going to be able to do what you need me to do, but you know, I'm going to try. And I did have to change up a lot of tricks and there were certain tricks I couldn't do for about, you know, six weeks or something like that because of the injury. And then luckily I had enough time to rest it up. And I mean, it's still to this day, it still hurts. And, uh, it's just one of those things you have to adjust your style or have to adjust tricks you do, or, you know, instead of doing a grab trick this way, you know, maybe I'll, switch it up and do a different grab trick where I don't have to use that arm as much. Okay. Um, so obviously you've been injured a ton. 
and you know what was the was there an injury that kept you out like get kept you off the bike for a long like extended period of time and you know if so what was kind of like your mental and emotional state during that time um i'm trying to think of the longest i've ever been off the bike uh, due to an injury and I, I i guess i can't really think of how long it was maybe six weeks or you know maybe two months at the most um and every time something like that happens an injury or whatever the only thing i can think of is like okay like it's i only got six weeks until i can ride again because literally like the fun and a lot of people like that don't have that mentality i think have a hard time understanding but i always just say the fun of that outweighs the fear the pain the anything you know i i can't explain to people what it feels like to fly through the air like 40 feet in the air 80 feet out i mean that it's like a it's like superhero stuff. You know, when you're a kid, you want to fly and that's the closest you'll ever get to doing it. If you're not like a, one of those wingsuit guys or a skydiver or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that was my next question is like, what keeps you coming back? But obviously like you just love it. And yeah, yeah I'm so passionate uh, about it. Uh, like I'm 40 years old and I'm still doing it. I'm still on tour. Like I, you know what I mean? I have no plans on stopping anytime soon. I just turned 40 like a month ago. And, uh, People are like, they're like, what? It's like, how how old are you? And you still do what? And I'm like, I I, so I don't feel like, like it, but I it's so much fun, yeah. and I live for it. I I really do. So, what's like the average career span for a freestyle motocross rider? It's not very long. I mean, there's there's a handful of us that have been around for a while, but I'm gonna say it's probably anywhere in between two years to five years max. I've seen so many kids come and go you know you, you it seems like every other year you, you know this they have some kid you know uh, pegged to be the next big thing and you know he might last two years and that's why i'm this old and still have a job because like not no one's came up to replace us like guys like me adam jones mike mason like guys that have been around for a long time and why do you think that is like do you guys approach the sport differently than these other guys do? Or is it just like you just love it that much more than they do? I, I honestly, I don't know. I think it's just a hard sport to get into. Number one, um, you have to basically have a place to practice. You have to have support people helping you with bikes, you know, cause it's expensive Man, dirt bikes aren't cheap, especially nowadays. Um, and you have to just have a little bit of luck, I think, or it, you know, it's a mixture of skill and luck. Like, the three guys like myself, Mike, Adam, we come from racing backgrounds and we learned the proper skills, I think, to deal with different situations. Instead of just being a kid that buys a bike and puts a ramp in his backyard, that doesn't know, like say, doesn't learn all those skills that you need to basically save your ass when you get in trouble. You know what I mean? Right. So you're saying that your racing background kind of helped prepare you for the freestyle background yeah absolutely and anybody that asked me ever like oh what do you think i should do to get the freestyle you know or i want to buy a bike and i want to do what you do i say look buy a bike but don't do what i do like go ride tracks as much as you can like different kind of tracks different terrain ride it when it's sunny when it's rainy when it's snowing like ride in every condition you can and when you can show up to any track in the world and you're not worried about jumping any jump. You're not worried about, you know, distances. Like you can just show up 
and not ask someone like, hey, how big is that jump? If you can just show up and jump it, then you should start doing freestyle. But those are the yeah, skills. That's good advice. Yeah, those are the yeah. skills that you need to, to be successful and to not like, because every situation is different. You get somewhere where it's kind of like loose dirt, somewhere where it's hard packed dirt, somewhere where there's ruts. And you have to deal with all that stuff. And the guys that are come from the background, you know, that ride tracks a lot and ride different situations, different stuff. Those are the guys that are successful anywhere they go. Okay. So how do you, like, do you anything to prioritize your health? Like when you're not riding, like, is it what you eat? Do you exercise? Like, is there any, anything you do outside of, of riding to kind of, you know, keep, stay healthy. Uh, to be honest with you, no, <laughs> I just stay active. You know what I mean? Like I spend a lot of time, like, and a lot of people are surprised when I say this too, but I very rarely practice freestyle when I'm at home. Like if I go riding during the week, it's always at the track. I have so much fun doing that. And, uh, man, that's, that is, it's gotta be one of the best workouts in the world. Like anybody that's tried, gone out and ridden laps on a motocross track knows it's how physically demanding it is. And that's really what keeps me in shape. Um, but as far as like working out and eat, you know, like I, every now and then I'll go on some like a kind of a health kick kind of diet thing and, um, just to kind of like get ready for, for a tour or whatever for, you know, you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, geez, man, I need to put the tacos down and <laughs> start eating some spinach or something. So uh, then, I'll, you know, I'll eat some, I'll get on a steady diet of like chicken and rice and, you know, spinach and almonds, stuff like that. But uh, honestly, it's, you know, I just kind of eat what I want and whatever and don't get too crazy with the pizza and the cheeseburgers and stuff like that. And, the, you know, the beers and the whatever. But, um, you know, you, you got to have a good balance, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like, sounds like you do. Um, is there anything in, you know, freestyle motocross or, you know, supercross or even what you guys do with Nitro Circus to like to promote safety or to make sure that it's like as safe as possible. I'm talking like track preparations or equipment. You had mentioned the neck brace that you had wore before you hurt your shoulder. What, what kind of stuff do you guys do to, you know, make the sport as safe as possible? Well, with Nitro Circus, we kind of learned as we go kind of thing. Um, you know, and unfortunately, this is how it happens, but um, we'll set up everything as safe as we think, you know, it could be. But then somebody, like, say, you know, there's, there isn't a pad in between the takeoff and the landing or whatever, and someone will come up short, bounce off the back of the landing and, you know, hit the ground. And then we're like, oh, okay, from now on, we'll put a pad there, you know, or we'll pad the part where somebody might land. Uh, because it's happened several times where, something has gone really bad and there was no pads there, but there are now. So we kind of learn as we go. But at this point, you know, especially at Nitro Circus, because there's just so much chaos going on, we've learned, you know, kind of where to put pads off the side of the landing, off the back of the landing, you know, um, wherever we can, wherever someone's landed so far, they got hurt. We're like, okay, well, okay, well, let's put a pad there instead, you know? Right. So you're saying that you don't necessarily like proactively try to think of what might happen. It's kind of like what, I mean, what most industries do, like 
you wait until something bad happens and then you're like, oh, like, yeah, maybe we should fix that. Yeah, hindsight, 2020, you know what I mean? Like, that's kind of how we run yeah. things. But there, there's been several times where, you know, people have brought things up like, hey, you know, you guys ever think what's going to happen if this happens? And they're like, oh, you know, it'll be all right. And then something happens, obviously. And you're kind of like, well, I kind of saw that one coming. But luckily, like, no one's right. gotten hurt too bad. Do you have an example? Like, I'm just uh, well, curious. Most, like, it's the mostly scenario. for like the Gigantoramp guys, you know, guys on, you know, the BMX and scooters and skateboard and all the contraptions. Um, I think especially in the first couple of years of Nitro Circus, you know, they're jumping these contraptions like Barbie cars and trikes and, uh, you know, a rollerblader takes a shopping cart, you know, down the ramp and jumps it and stuff like that. And I think the first few years when, because, you know, they're jumping stuff that is not intended to jump, you know, 40, 50 feet. You know what I mean? And so it was kind of a learning curve, like a learning process. Like somebody would try to take a Barbie car down the gigantic ramp and the wheels wouldn't hook up right. And they would come up short or go off the side of the landing or whatever. And, and like I said, we kind of learn as we go. You know, we're like, oh, well, those wheels didn't work. Let's try these wheels. <laughs> and, then, and then they right. were like, we, we go until we get it right. And it's unfortunate, like a couple guys, you know, I mean, nobody's broken anything too bad, but you know, it's like basically jumping off the roof of your house out onto the street and it's not going to feel good, you know? Right. And I'm sure, I know you guys have like special landing pads and like, it's made of a special material that's like, doesn't have a lot of friction. So if you do fall, it's not as, uh, the impact, like, I guess, isn't as great. Yeah. On the gigantic ramp side, um, they have, they have like a kind of a resi landing just for that reason because they do things that are just insane and they're always trying brand new things during the show and unfortunately on the moto side we can't really do that because our landing is basically just wood with paint on it and uh it it doesn't give at all if you hit it when you land so um we have to be a little more thought out than you know say like what those kids do but so like yeah they're like jumping on a, a pillow like thing and you're saying you're jumping onto something that's super hard. Oh, it's not necessarily a pillow. Like, I mean, those guys have broken legs and arms and everything landing on, on their side, but it's just to help with, like you said, the friction, you know, like if you, if you do fall, you're going to slide instead of getting caught and tumble, you know, that's when you start breaking things. Right. Okay. So do you have any advice for like overcoming hesitation, you know, after a big crash? I'm just thinking like if someone was injured listening to this, like maybe they're hesitant going back. Like how do you guys kind of, you know, avoid that hesitation after coming off an injury or a, a crash? Uh, I think it's different for everyone. You know, I think most guys kind of take their baby steps again and start over. You know what I mean? Like kind of assess what went wrong. And then you're like, oh, you kind of, you know, and if you're lucky, you have it on video so you can see what went wrong. But sometimes when you don't, you know, you're like, okay, well, I think the reason my hand blew off is because of this. So I need to work on this and you start over, you know, you just start over with your baby steps because it's just like anything with any sport, you know, with golf, with baseball, with anything. I think the more you do something, the more you start to develop bad habits. And you kind of have to reset and start at ground zero again. Okay. I learned this trick by first putting my feet on the handlebars. Okay. Well, I'm going to do that a few times and then, okay, I'm comfortable. Okay. And then I straighten my legs and then I, you know, you kind of go through the steps again. Okay. And then yeah. there's some guys like that. and there's some guys that just get, get back from an injury and they just go 
they make themselves go do all their tricks again, right then, like just to get over it. And then there's sometimes when like you have a concussion, if you crash really bad and you knock yourself out, you, you have no recollection of the crash. And so you're not really scared of that trick. You know what I mean? Because like you, it never <laughs> happened basically. I mean, obviously it happened, but in your head it didn't, you know? So you're like, ah, you know, I can do that trick again. I'm not even scared of it. <laughs> yeah. What am I afraid of? I don't, yeah. What even happened? Uh, that's funny, but also a little scared at the same time. Yeah. Uh, so do you think that there's anything that, um, like traditional sports can learn from motocross or, uh, freestyle motocross, you know, when it comes to providing like a safe environment? Oh, that's tough to say. I mean, I think traditional sports have been around for so much longer. I mean, freestyle motocross is still a new sport, really. You know, it's only been around since what, 99 or something like that. And it's like, you know, how far is, how long has baseball and football been around forever, right? So I think those right. guys probably have it figured out. And it, I mean, every year you see changes in, you know, batting helmets or football helmets or pads or, you know, even your leg pads, stuff like that. I think they do, they're doing a pretty good job of, you know, dealing with finally addressing and dealing with, you know, what's happening, especially in football. But, uh, you know, with freestyle motocross, we're still learning. You know what I mean? We're still figuring it out. We're still figuring out like, oh, we should uh, make this safer or, you know, uh, it, this could be better kind of thing. Right. But they're, okay. I think they're light years ahead of us as far as like, you know what I mean? Just because it's, those sports have been around for so long. Yeah, they've had more time to evolve. Yeah. yeah. And there's rules too. You know, in freestyle motocross, there's no rules. Like you can, you could show up and, you know, Daisy Dukes and no shirt and go do a freestyle run. You know what I mean? Like you could do whatever you want. It's not like a football game where you have to have like a certain uniform and certain pads and, you know, like uh, real equipment, you know, like um, approved equipment, I guess. Right. And that's like kind of, I guess it's inherent in the sport, like freestyle motocross. So yeah, you like, there are no rules. Like you just do whatever you want. Yeah. So um, that's an interesting point as well. Uh, before we move into kind of your passions outside of riding, which I'm really interested to hear about, and I really commend, you know, you for, you know, doing that and not just being, you know, a freestyle motocross rider, you're like so much more than that. Um, I don't know if I really did a good job of explaining what exactly Nitro Circus is, and I think we talked about it. So I was hoping that you can explain what you guys do at Nitro Circus and maybe how you got involved, and then we'll we'll move on to the life outside of riding. Yeah, well, the Nitro Circus is just a bunch of idiots, basically, that will do anything to entertain you. And uh, we find these kids around the world. I have no idea where a lot of them come from because it's not this planet, I guarantee you. And they will jump and do flips and spins and like it's I the talent level on that tour that like a lot of these kids have is just like I said I don't know what planet they're from because I guarantee you it's not Earth but um, it's a action sports show with freestyle motocross BMX skateboarding scooters skateboard you know like uh, contraptions like Barbie cars shopping carts. Uh, kids trikes um a guy jumps a whiskey keg a whiskey barrel a guy jumps a like a beer cooler 50 feet you know it's it's insane they jump kayaks and you know stuff that should not be flying through the air and it's just a live action sports show where you get to see the very best action sports athletes in the world perform in your hometown 
And uh, it's, it's like I said, that that's the reason, you know, I'm, I'm the age I am and I'm still doing it is because you, there's, I guarantee you, there's no drug or no anything in the entire world that makes you feel like what you feel like when you are doing one of those shows with the very best action sports athletes in the world. Right. And if you had that drug, you'd be a millionaire. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, you could make yeah, that you drug. Can. Yeah, you can't. You, I, like, I've never done a drug in my life and people are always surprised, you know, like, oh, you've never tried anything. I'm like, no, I've never, I swear I've never tried anything. And I go, you can't explain, I go, I can't explain to you the feeling, what it feels like to do something that entertains, you know, anywhere from 20,000 to however many thousand people. And you can drop your bike and you look at the crowd and you raise your arms and everybody stands up and cheers. Like there's nothing in the world that's going to compare to that. Nothing. Yeah. That's just, that's just, I got pumped. Just you explaining that. Uh, do you, I, I mean, you said that you talk about these kids, quote unquote, uh, that, you know, jump these, this crazy stuff. Like, do you ever give these kids advice? Like, you know, being like a veteran in the sport at all? Yeah. Save your money. <laughs> You know, you see like okay. a lot of these young kids, man, they love to like spend their money on cars and, you know, uh, you know, diamond earrings and watches, whatever, man, like fancy shit. And I, you know, I've, I've had highs and lows in my career. I've made a lot of money. I've lost it all. You know what I mean? Through injuries and, you know, uh, divorce especially, but, um, I'm just like, dude, save your money, man. Like no matter what, like don't buy stupid cars. Don't go buy all that shit. Save that shit. For when you're older. So that's that's always that's my advice, advice that I give to those kids. I'm like, dude, you don't need a, a Rolex right now. You know what I mean? Like, you have all the talent in the world. You don't need to show off. You don't need a BMW. You know what I mean? Like, you all you have to say is like, I'm the baddest dude there is on a BMX bike. And you're going to get respect. You don't need to have like, you know, all that fancy stuff. Right. Yeah, it's great advice. And I feel like most kids, you know, whether you're, you know, a freestyle motocross rider or not, like it's the flashy thing to do. It's the cool thing to do. Like you want to post it on Instagram. Exactly, so that's yeah. why you buy it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I try um, to explain right, to these really kids. Cool. I'm like, none of that, nothing that means anything like Instagram, all that it doesn't mean anything. I go, you don't need that stuff. You already, you already have all the talent in the world. Like you're the best guy at your sport. Like you don't need a Mercedes or whatever. You know what I mean? Like just, Right. Be your thing, dude. Trust me, save your money. Yeah. Do they listen to you or no? No, of course not. They're too young. They don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they'll figure it out the hard way. They'll figure it out the hard way just like I did. All right. So let's talk about some of your passions outside of riding. And I know the big one, uh, from what I could see, at least from my research, is uh, playing the guitar. So when did you start playing the guitar and... You know, you're you even make your own guitar, so that's awesome. How how'd you get into that? Uh, I started. I took a class at my my middle school when I was in. Actually, offered a guitar class, like basically like guitars for beginners kind of thing, where you learn like little one note at a time. Like Mary had a little lamb, stuff like that, or whatever. But I've always been passionate about music, like ever since I was a little kid. And I'm not kidding, dude. This is one of my first memories. One of my very first memories that I know of, and I must have been three or four, I don't know how old I was, but, uh, I had an older cousin who's about 10 years older than me and our parents hung out and I was over at their house one day and I swear I saw a picture. He had a picture on his wall of Eddie Van Halen 
And I just remember seeing that and being like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And just being obsessed with that, with that red, you know, the red striped guitar. And ever since I was a little kid, man, I was just like, you know, like Joe Dirt says, and man, I'm a rocker through and through. <laughs> and uh, so I've just been obsessed with like rock music and guitars ever since I was a little kid. And I never had one. I never got to play one until I was like in eighth grade, my school, like it came up that my school was doing this like guitar class. And so I, I was like, yes, I have to do that. Like I want that class so bad. I got to put my hands on a, you know, little nylon string, like little small bodied, like parlor guitar basically. And, uh, yeah, plucked a couple notes and just absolutely been in love ever since. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a, with a real like working class family and my dad was just a construction worker and my mom cut hair, you know, so they never had any money to buy guitars, stuff like that for me until I was 16. I got my first, my own guitar. I got it for my birthday. And, uh, I, I didn't put the thing down after that. Um, I just sat and like tried to learn ear out songs. I, of course I played them all wrong, but, um, I was just obsessed with it. And ever since I got one in my hand, I never wanted to put it down. And just, like I said, I've been, been obsessed ever since. How often do you play now? Uh, every day, every day that I'm home, I, I, even when I travel, I take a guitar with me always. And if I'm flying overseas, if I'm going to Australia or New Zealand or, you know, Europe or whatever, I always buy a guitar somewhere where I'm at. Um, and, and they're, they're always, I very rarely bought like a really nice expensive guitar when I've been somewhere overseas, they're usually like, I usually have like a $200 limit just because I'll keep that for that tour and I'll bring it home and I'll like put it away, you know, but that way I have something for the five or six weeks I'm on tour to play. If I don't have room or, you know, the, the baggage space to take one with me. Cool. So it, is that almost like a meditation like type thing for you? Like when you're not riding, um, I guess like, what value does that add to, I guess, maybe your performance on the, uh, you know, in Nitro Circus also? Uh, it keeps me sane, that's for sure. It keeps me out of trouble too, you know. Like there's, a, you know, all, the, all these guys, especially the younger kids, I, I call them all kids because I'm the oldest guy on tour, but, um, you know, they're, they, they want to go, 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 party, you know, like, oh, let's go to a party, let's go to this club, let's go out, let's, and I'm like, eh, I'm just going to sit and play guitar like you know and plus we have a lot of downtime believe it or not um you know with hotels and tour buses and you know just sitting in the locker room you know we practice at say one o'clock the show's not till seven we only practice for about 20 30 minutes something like that so there's a lot of downtime and i basically just need something to do so i figured uh, you know why why not do something that i'm passionate about and try to better myself every day practice my scales practice learn you know learn new songs or like you hear some like classic rock song or riff that you, and I'm like, Oh, I've never actually learned that. I need, I need to learn that. And I'll spend a couple hours just on YouTube in the locker room, learning a new song or whatever. Cool. Do you write your own music? Yeah, I do. I come up with a lot of like riffs and intros and, you know, solo stuff like that. I, I don't ever really put them all together. Um, I have a lot of ideas and a lot of stuff like recorded in my garage band or on my computer or whatever that I need to like put together. But, uh, I, I really don't like, I don't have anything that I could put out there. And, um, that that's fully together. You know what I mean? Because I'm not, I'm not like a computer guy, so I don't, I can't get into like 
putting all the drums to it and this and that and like arranging it and all that. I just like playing, you know, I leave all that other stuff right. up to other people. I just had an idea. I was wondering if you could send me like a file of one of your songs that you just like, even if you're just like messing around that you have recorded and I'll use it for my intro music for this episode. <laughs> if, that, if that's cool with you. Yeah, I'll work. I'll see what I got. And uh, I know a lot, a lot of my sponsors actually, they do like Instagram videos, and YouTube stuff, and they need intro music like that for stuff. So I've had several people ask me. And like I said, I'm, my kids are way smarter at computer. Like they, they could figure it out. Like they're super good at recording. They, they mess around on GarageBand all the time. Like my youngest son plays piano, and he's way better at that than I'll ever be at anything musically. And my oldest son plays drums, so I kind of have like a little mini band here. But they always want to play like others. I'm, I try to get them to jam with me and play songs, but they're always like, "Ah, oh, Dad, I don't want to play that. I want to play my own thing," you know. Okay. They don't ever want to jam well, with at me. Least they're into it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that might change over time. You never know. Yeah. Um, so is it common for, you know, guys in your sport to have hobbies outside other than going to bars and going out and partying? Is it common? I would say no, but there are a few of us that like, uh, like myself, Adam Jones, Mike Mason, we all play guitar. Um, uh, Dusty Weigel, who does everything on tour. Like he's a gigantic guy that, he can ride anything that you give him. He plays guitar really well. Um, there's a few of us on tour that do, but like most, most of the kids, honestly, they're into whatever's popular right now. Like it's mostly like that electronic, like, you know, I, I call it shit, but whatever, you know, like whatever's popular right now, like a, uh, club music or what, you know, whatever it's called. Right. Avicii. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know what music. that is, but. It's a guy who makes that kind of music, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, that they probably they probably um, like it. Yeah. So, where do you think you get this creativity from? You know, with the music, and you know, do you think that translates to freestyle? Like, you're just a you, you know, you've been in the sport for a long time. You've performed at the highest level. Like, do you think that the creativity that's inherent in playing guitar helps you in freestyle? I think it does. I think I don't think. They, I don't know if they have anything to do with each other, but I think it's just if you're that type of person who's creative or wants to, you know, make art or make things and want to, it, basically, I think mine just stems from wanting to entertain people. And that goes back to what I was saying before. Like, there's no feeling in the world like entertaining 20,000 people. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you, yeah. I think I was just, and I don't mean to sound, you know, cocky or whatever when I say this, but I think I was born to entertain people. Like I, that's my passion. I want to get that reaction. I want to, I want to basically, I just want to entertain people. You know what I mean? Like that's a cool thing. Right. Like I love it when I go to a concert and I see like my favorite guitar player or if I see like a band that I love or whatever, or somebody, even if it's a sporting event or whatever, you know what I mean? Like some, you know, I go to a baseball game, somebody hits a home run. That's what you go there to see. And that's a that's a great right. feeling. Like you go there and you get your money's worth. And that's that's right. you can't there like I said, you can't beat that feeling of like it it's great validation for I don't know if it's your ego or for whatever it is, but it's you you think like I okay, I, I did something like good, you know, like all those people were I made those people happy. At least for, you know, right. twenty minutes because you know those people are like the people that 
go to work on Monday and they're, you know, have some, you know, they're working construction, they have a shitty day or whatever. But then for that two hours that you were doing backflips on a dirt bike, they were, they were probably stoked and they forgot about all that shit, you know? Right. Did you ever have like a job, like working construction, like, or a traditional, you know, job other than freestyle or I, I grew up from the time I was 15 until, well, until 2003, when I got my first big sponsor, I worked construction every day. And even my first two years of professional motocross or freestyle motocross, I, and even when I was racing, I would work, you know, Monday through Thursday or Friday, whatever it was, and then fly out and go do events on the weekend. And then even now, like t- to this day, I, I worked today. Like I still work construction. I took a long, huge break off, but we actually just had like a, almost six month break from nitro circus. And so I have family in the construction trade and I always thought I knew I wasn't going to be able to retire off freestyle motocross. And so I've always kept my skills up and I, for the last, since, or for the last few months, I've been working every day, like that we've had time off on tour and, uh, I, I, I dig it, man. I, I have a, you know, I have a good time. I have actually, have a cousin that I'm working with right now and it's actually really fun man like a you know I go I go work during the day it gives me something to do so I'm not just sitting here bored like I I live in Portland Oregon so it rains all the time during this time of year so I can't ride and I either have to like drive somewhere to like you know Nevada or California to go ride or or I was like I could go to work you know and it keeps me in shape it like you know, I get a steady paycheck. They pay for my health insurance. Like I work for a company that takes great care of me and I actually have, I actually have like a lot of fun doing it. So, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, basically, yeah, I've had jobs. Well, that's, yeah, that, you still do. Yeah. Yeah. And then actually like this tour that's coming up with Nitro Circus, I, I'm still going to work during the week. Um, I'm going to work during the week, fly out on the weekends, do the shows, go back to work. You know, I like it actually. I I need to be doing something because I'm kind of my own worst enemy when I don't have anything to do. I start looking for ways to get in trouble kind of. So it's a, it's good for me to, it's good for me to have something to do like a steady thing, you know, be busy. Yeah, to be busy, you know, yeah. idle hands, you know, that kind of thing. Cool. And I think the construction thing kind of goes into that creativity side also. Like I think there's a lot of creativity in construction as well. It is. So. It is. And I've, I've actually, had a lot of success in the industry because in the construction side of things, because I'm kind of an outside the box thinker. You know what I mean? Like when say like we're doing something or we have a new job and something people are used to doing something a certain way. Well, I like to think like, well, how can we do this better? How can I make this faster? How can I, how can I make this work better? And that's kind of what I thrive at. And that's why that's part of the fun for me. You know, like the, the typical stuff when you're just like measuring 16 inches or 24 inches or whatever, that's boring. But when I get to like use my brain and think like, Ooh, how can I, okay, we have a problem. How can I make this better? Like problem solving stuff that I love that stuff. Do you have a example off the top of your head? Uh, so like recently, like the job I'm doing right now, we're hanging these panels on the outside of a building, which is a finished product. And it's, it's a real kind of pain in the ass to, to make them straight and make them all line up and everything. And um, I, I recently came up with a way to save 
you know, p- paying four guys about two hours of time of fixing something. And I kind of came up with a way to do it in, you know, 10 minutes instead of two hours. And that that's like really satisfying for me to think like, wow, I just, you know, saved the company that much money and that much time. And it's a good feeling, you know, it's like, it's like uh, doing a new trick or something like that, where people cheer for you. It's, it's kind of the same thing. It's like coming up with something off the top of your head that's creative, that, that is good. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, it, it's exactly, yeah. Like you did a, a new trick. Um, it's, I think that kind of goes into maybe telling athletes who might be, you know, done with their career uh, in their sport that there are ways that you can kind of get a similar feeling uh, in other areas of their life. So I think that's a, a good example. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So when did you get into riding motorcycles? Well, I got a late start. I, I didn't ride when I was a kid. I, I did a, a few times, you know, like I had a neighbor that had a 50 when we were kids and he had an older brother that just wasn't into it, but their parents bought him and his brother bikes. Well, the brother never wanted to ride it, so I would always go over there and ride the brother's bike. And that's when I just absolutely felt – that's all I wanted to do after that was ride dirt bikes. But, like, my parents could never afford to get me a dirt bike. So uh, I got to ride that a little bit. And then the company that my dad worked for growing up, the boss had a bunch of – quads and he had dirt bikes and stuff like that and you know our families would go camping together and he would bring out the quads and a dirt bike and stuff like that and i would get to ride a little bit like on that kind of stuff and that you know i was like i said like when i was a kid i was obsessed with it was that was the most fun thing i'd I'd ever done in my life and it was like it was kind of like a freedom thing it wasn't an organized sport where there was rules it was just like a hey get on this bike and go ride in the woods or go riding the sand dunes or wherever, you know, you could do whatever you wanted. No one was telling you what to do. And I just loved the freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I loved the feeling of just being in control of this machine that was super fast. And like, it was the funnest thing in the world to me at the time. And so as a little kid, I was obsessed with dirt bikes and I had an uncle that raced dirt bikes and, uh, you know, he was always getting hurt and stuff and stuff buying bikes and selling them because he'd get hurt and this and that or whatever. But he always had like the dirt bike mags, like the magazines, you know? So I would, whenever I was at his house, I would just obsess over all these pictures and see guys jumping. And I was, you know, obsessed with like evil Knievel. And the, uh, there was a guy named Johnny airtime back in the day who did like stunts on TV. And I just thought that like jumping a motorcycle must be like the coolest thing in the world. And you know, back when you're a little kid, you, you know, catch like two feet of air and it feels like you're, you know, jumping a mile, you know, it's the coolest feeling in the world for a kid, right? I felt the same way when I was a kid, like when you were explaining the the same things you got to ride. Like I remember, you know, one of my neighbors had a little 50 also, and we would ride in my backyard. And I remember like just looking at the lines in the grass that the bike made. And I thought it was like, oh my God, like that's so cool. And I used to like ride my mountain bike in my backyard and put like, uh, the baseball cards in the spoke. So it sounded like a motor and stuff like that until I was lucky enough to get one myself. But, um, yes, I, I I feel you. Yeah. So anyway, I was obsessed with them when I was a kid. And, uh, so fine. Like, I, like I said, my parents full, just, you know, blue collar working class family, like barely made ends meet, obviously could never afford to buy me a dirt bike. Um, so when I was in high school, I, 
like I said, from the time I was 15, I, I worked all summer working construction with my dad. And uh, um, I saved up enough money, I think, by my, I don't know, junior or senior year or something like that to buy this old, I think it was like a 1982 XR250 or something like that. And uh, I, I, I got to ride it two times before it blew up. But I, as a kid, I always wanted a dirt bike. I finally got one. I bought this thing. I don't even, I can't even remember where we got it. Um, I think it was like a friend of a cousin or something like that had this thing. And so I got the thing, got it all cleaned up. And I didn't know anything about dirt bikes, whatever. And I rode the thing twice and it seized up. But just those two times of riding it, it was like the whole freedom thing, you know, like, cause like I said, I grew up playing traditional sports and there's all these rules and people watching you and telling you, you know, you can do this, you can't do that. But I remember riding, you know, just on the, you know, you go take off for a weekend and you go with your buddy out to some sand pit or whatever. And it's the, it's the ultimate freedom, you know, when you're a teenager, right? You go ride a dirt bike right. and no one's telling you what to do and no one's watching you and no, you know, it's just, it's the best feeling in the world. And uh, so that blew yeah. up, obviously couldn't afford to fix it, sold it for parts. You know, I like sold, I think I sold it to some scrapyard for like, I don't know, 50 bucks or something like that. And so anyway, I was, I was just, it re-sparked the fire in me. And so I was like, man, this very second I get done playing baseball and, and I get a job, that's, that's the first thing I'm buying. Like the very, as soon as my paycheck comes in, you know, where I get, make a couple grand or whatever, that, that's, right. that's what I'm getting. That's, that's what I'm going to do with my life. And I was so naive. I thought that like, I was just going to get a dirt bike and get super good at it really fast and become like this factory pro racer. And I was just like, yeah, that's my plan. That's what I'm going to do. Like not really realizing how expensive and how hard it is and you know, how much competition there is out there. Um, so anyway, yeah, I did that. I worked, you know, right out of high school, got a job. And, uh, like I said, first, first paychecks I got, they went to buying a old KX 250, which is way too much bike for a beginner basically like a beginner level like I was and uh man I rode that thing rain or shine freezing rain snow hail it didn't matter um the job I was working I was lucky enough that the job that I was working on at the time had this big kind of sand pit field kind of across the street from it with like a bunch of piles of sand and dirt and like kind of all different terrain and I literally would take my bike to work with me every day and I would just ride the crap out of that thing until, you know, I would either crash or I would break something on the bike. And then, uh, I, I'm not kidding. I did that every day until I built my skill level up. And, uh, it's funny. The, the only reason I really started racing is because I went, I broke my throttle cable or something like that. And I went to a local shop and, uh, they asked me, they're like, Hey, it's, it's, you know, 30 bucks or whatever. And they're like, wait, do you race? And I was like, well, uh, no, but I want to. And then I was like, why? And they're like, well, you get a racer's discount. You know, we, we like to help out local racers and stuff. And I was like, well, yeah, dude, I, I'm going to race. Like, when's the next race? And like, this weekend. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm going, dude. I'm, I'm going to be there. See you there. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. just so I could get like maybe, you know, five bucks off of this throttle cable or whatever. And that's really how it started, man. That's really how it started. Like I, at 19, I just got a bike and I was just like, this is it. I'm, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my, like I'm, 
I was so passionate about it. I just, I wouldn't accept like that, that it wasn't going to be a thing, you know? Right. And I mean, I, that's too funny though. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like a dumb, naive kid. It's like, Oh dude, I'm just going to get this bike. I'm going to start racing pro, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, that's, that's yeah, awesome. I worked my ass off basically. You know, I, I, I literally just, I'm not kidding. There was times where, and I'm not kidding. This is a true story, man. I, I had $5 to my name at times, you know, and I was like, well, I could eat dinner tonight or I could put five bucks of gas in my bike tomorrow to ride after work. And I always picked the riding like, and I, luckily I had a girlfriend at the time where I was like, Hey, if you're going to come over, could you like stop by Taco Bell and get me a bean burrito for 89 cents or whatever? Because I got to put five bucks, five bucks of gas in my bike tomorrow. That's, that's awesome. how it started for me, man. And I just never looked back. I literally put my head down and I, I'm not, like I said, I rode rain or shine, started racing. Uh, and within two years, I was racing the pro class and doing well. Got to the point where I was racing, uh, it's called the Arena Cross Series. And uh, I, had, I had a bad crash at one of the rounds. It broke my back. Not not bad. Like it was. It's not like it sounds. It was just a compression fracture of a vertebrae. Like no real danger. You know. I mean, obviously it could be, but it wasn't a big deal. I was back riding again within like a month or five weeks or something like that. But it just got to the point to where I couldn't afford to do it anymore because I was trying to work during the week and trying to race and ride on the weekends. And uh, it got to the point where I got really good at jumping though. Like in that point, and so. The only reason I was racing the Arena Cross series is because they had a jump contest that paid $500 if you won. And I had the tricks to win it. So I would go and like win this 500 bucks. And that was like a million dollars to me back then, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I, I did that and I made, you know, I won a few jump contests, and made some 500 bucks. And then uh, it, it just got to the point where I couldn't travel. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't afford it. I was living on my own and paying for everything by myself. And, uh, so luckily I crashed and uh, I talked to the promoter after I crashed and he's like, well, hey, man, he goes, I told him, I was like, I'm not going to, I can't do it anymore, man. I, I'm broke. I, you know, I just, I got to move on. He's like, well, hey, you're really good at jumping. Why don't you jump over to our freestyle tour that we're doing? And I was like, well, sweet. How do, how do I do that? And he's like, I'll make a call. So he called. And uh, they're like, yeah, send us a video of your tricks. I sent in a video of my tricks, and they invited me out that week. And uh, basically, I showed up, went and practiced, and they put me on the tour. I've been doing it ever since. I mean, that's an awesome story, especially because, you know, it was really just like you putting the work in to get yourself to a professional level of, of racing. And then um, a setback actually propelled you forward. You know, to the point where, you know, you you kind of fell into the freestyle world that you're you're in today, and you're the highest level of also. Yeah, so. that's the thing. Like I was, I always loved jumping, man. Like, like ever since I was a little kid, I just wanted to jump motorcycles. And to be honest with you, I wasn't that great at racing. Like my corner speed is not that great. It's not where like the professional guys are, you know. And I think it has a lot to do with my accelerated learning curve where I had to like get there fast. You know, I didn't have the time to put in. I just kind of had to adapt and go. 
But anyway, like I, I just, I was passionate about jumping and it was, that was fun for me. And that's why I learned tricks, you know, it's all because I watched like the crusty demons movies and this and that around that time. And, uh, I wanted to do both. Right. I wanted to race, but I also wanted to show off and entertain people. And like, for, that's when freestyle came along and I was like, Whoa, you can get paid to ride a dirt bike and like, inter- just do that and entertain people. I was like, dude, that's, that's for me for sure. Right. Sign me up. Yeah. Um, all right. So as we kind of wrap up the conversation here, I got a few more questions for you. Um, I know you have uh, a couple boys, right? Um, do they ride also? Uh, they did. Um, my youngest son probably still would, but he kind of outgrew the bike that he was riding. And so we sold it. And uh, he, I just haven't got him anything else yet. Um, and he's so – both of my kids are obsessed with skateboarding right now, which is fine with me because, uh, man, I, I don't want to see my kids go through injuries like I've gone through. And so I don't, I'm not one of those guys that like pushes them to do anything. Like I just leave it up to them. I'm like, whatever you guys want to do. Like if you want to ride dirt bikes, we'll ride dirt bikes. If you want to ride mountain bikes, if you want to do this, that, whatever. But they're absolutely obsessed with skateboards. Like skateboarding is everything to them right now. And which I'm fine with that. Cause you know, you go pay 40 bucks for a skate deck and, you know, let them go play out on the, on the sidewalk in the street. And, you know, I built them a, like a little mini half pipe and, stuff like that. So I'm fully, fully happy with them just doing whatever they're passionate about. And uh, like I said, I kind of found my passion on my own and I kind of want them to do the same thing. And I've seen so many kids like with dads, like parents pressuring them to like ride and do this and that and whatever. I don't, I don't want that for my kids. I just want them to find something on their own. I want them to, you know, do it themselves kind of thing. And if they want to ride, like if my, my youngest, if he, if he ever tells me, Hey, dad, I kind of want to ride again, then I'll go get him a bike and we'll go riding again. But he basically like skateboarding is their life right now. Cool. So, you know, when your boys first, you know, showed interest in riding, although that might not be now, like, did you have reservations initially because of all the injuries that you went through? Oh, you're always worried about stuff like that with your kids. Um, but no, I mean, honestly, like I just, I just, I've always thought like, you know, you guys tell me what you want to do. Like, I'm not going to suggest anything or tell like, find what you want to do and we'll do it kind of thing. You know, like, I don't want to push you to be like, Hey, you should ride or maybe you should try this or, you know, maybe you should try skiing or snowboarding or whatever. Like they love to ski. They love to skateboard they they like riding mountain bikes but i i just i want i want to see what they're all about like and their passion is right now is skateboarding that's like everything is skateboarding cool um is, has there been any like changes in equipment recently in motocross i remember you mentioned like the neck brace um but is, is there anything that like is on the horizon that is like the newest innovation in the sport um, or is, has pretty much stayed pretty consistent recently? I think there's a lot of innovation every year with safety equipment, you know, with, you know, boots, like your main safety equipment that you really need for motocross is good boots, a good helmet, like the helmets. Number one, I would say good boots is probably second. Um, 
and then your your basic you know pads like say if you you know if you're racing you might need a chest protector or like even like a under like one of the small foam chest protectors just to protect you from roost and rocks not so much impact but and, and the companies now are doing such a great job with safety like especially like the the helmet company that I ride for bell helmets it's I mean and I'm not kidding man I've I've crashed a lot I mean that's just part of the deal if you ride a motorcycle you crash and I've I've hit my head hard like really really hard in a bell helmet and I haven't been I haven't been knocked out which with other companies I I swear I've hit my head a lot less hard than what I've hit in a bell helmet and I've been concussed you know like knocked out fully and I think the way that they're like designing things with like different layers of foam and different you know, impact zones and basically a crumple zone like a car kind of thing. Um, it's just getting better and better. And I, I'm so, so happy. I, I even told Bell, I said, look, if I wasn't riding for you guys, I would buy your helmets. Like I would only wear those because they've saved me several times. And then they also have like an eject system, which is a, it's like a air bladder. That goes in between the pad and the shell of the helmet in the top of the helmet to to prevent like them trying to take your helmet off during a spinal cord injury you know they basically inflate this air bladder that like pushes the helmet off your head without them having to manipulate your neck and just wow. stuff like that yeah it's amazing you know like that they're doing stuff yeah, like that. Heard yeah, of that and they're they're doing like magnetic visors now instead of like screw on one. So if it catches on something, it's not going to like rip your head back. And uh, doing uh, magnetic pads, like cheek pads, so they don't have to unsnap them, and, like move your head around. They can basically just pull the pull the pads out because they're magnetic instead of like snapped in. Cool. That's the outside the box exactly, thinking that you're talking exactly. about. I love stuff like that. And I, man, I love what they're doing. And, it seems like every year helmet companies like that are coming up with new and better ways to, to provide safety for, you know, people riding. Yeah. Um, this is like actually a really random question that I almost forgot to ask you. You know, I noticed like just by looking at your social media that your bike has this like particular pattern <laughs> on it. It's like the red, white, and black like mixture. Yeah, it goes back to my first memory but I was the talking crazy about. Thing Oh, okay. Because I saw a truck when I was walking in town the other day that had like a license plate frame that was like the exact same pattern. I have on the exact it. And same. I was just wondering like what that I was. I have the exact same license plate frame on my truck. It's uh, it's it's all about Eddie Van Halen, man. I'm telling you, I've been obsessed. Okay. I've been obsessed with Van Halen since I was a little kid. Like, that's one of my first memories that I can remember is seeing that poster and just being like, I don't know. It was like you know, um. When you see like in movies, like the light, and it's like the ah moment, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's that happened, man. It was like there was like a bright aura around it. And I, I just knew that, like, I don't know, that was going to have something to do with the rest of my life. And uh, I, I'm the I mean, there, you know, there's people that are fans. I'm, I'm literally like the, one of the biggest Van Halen fans in the world just because like. You know, being a guitar player, I try to pick apart every note, every nuance, every little, you know, vibe that, you know, they're doing. And I, I'm just obsessed with that that pattern for some reason that's just stuck with me ever since I was a little kid that red with black and white stripes. I've been obsessed with it. 
and I swear, like when I when I was when I first started writing, before there was like custom graphic kits and you could order your own stuff. I always wanted a bike with that pattern on it, and uh, yeah, that that. So I knew, like you know, you, you every now and then, like you have to go, you have to run your sponsor stuff. They want you to run certain things, whatever. And I was like, I, I had to do that for several years. And I was like, if I ever lose my graphic sponsor or my shroud sponsor or whatever, I'm doing straight Van Halen bike because I'm bringing something that I'm passionate about outside of this world into this world of freestyle motocross or motocross. And yeah, like I said, I'm just, I'm just the hugest Van Halen fan. And so I, I'll do any tribute I can to, to Eddie and, I, that's why I run the stripes, man, because I just love it. That's awesome. And I think that kind of goes into your identity outside of the sport, even when you're doing the sport. I think that's like, that. that's so cool. Yeah. I like and that. I always ride, like we get to pick our own music when we ride. And I always ride. Van Halen. Like, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know why, but I just feel like super connected to it. And I don't know. Obsession might be the wrong word, but it's the first word that comes to mind kind of thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, so where can people connect with you on social media? Uh, yeah, just check me out at uh, BoBam612. That's B-E-A-U-B-A-M 612. And I really only have Instagram. I don't do the Facebook thing, and I, I'm never on Twitter. Um, you know, I'm kind of contractually obligated to have that stuff, but I, I just don't use it. I stopped using Facebook in 2010 because of a weird story that happened, but um, – I, I'm just, I don't, you know, like, I like Instagram because you, you can, you only follow like who you want to see. Like anybody can look at your stuff, right. which is fine. You know, my stuff's pretty public and I put it out there for whoever wants to see it. But I wasn't a big fan of the Facebook thing because like you add people and you let people be, you know, your friend or whatever. And then you have to see their, you know, whatever they ate for dinner. And I, I wasn't into it. So right. I, I, I try not to spend too much time on that stuff. Like, you know, you'll notice that I basically post like once a week. And it's just a whip it Wednesday because it's like a thing I made up in, I don't know, 2011 or whatever. But uh, so I got to keep it going. But um, yeah, I do. Like w when I'm on tour, I put a lot of stuff, you know, from the shows on there and stuff like that. So if you want to check it out, check it out. If not, you know, go do something else with your life, man. Do something. <laughs> Stay off your phone. Basically, that's what I tell people. Yeah, I, I find your, your page entertaining. There's a lot of cool videos and I like the whip it Wednesdays. and your guitar uh, stuff on there too. So I'll link that up in the show notes for uh, the listeners. And last question that I always ask all my guests is what's your definition of toughness today? And maybe how has that changed uh, over time? Oh, geez. I don't know, man. That's a tough question because I don't know. To me, toughness is just like being able to, being able to get it done. Like if you're hurt or you're sick, you have the flu, um, being able to just get like make, shit happen you know what i mean like um just be tough and just do it like don't a lot of people have excuses for you know oh i can't today because or i can't do this or I, you know whatever and i think i think the, the toughest people are the people who get shit done through no matter what's going on in their life like you could be sick your your aunt might have just died or something you know what i mean and you're just not there mentally but you gotta you know toughen up man and get get it done right yeah i love that bo and 
thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and share your your story and uh, your insights into the sport of freestyle motocross. And you're the first you know motocross rider that I've had on the podcast, so I think that's a a, a cool first for me. And obviously, I, I told you growing up, I loved riding my dirt bike, and I looked up to all you guys. Uh, so thanks again for for coming. Cool, man. On, yeah, no problem. I appreciate you having me on. And let, let me just. I don't want to take any more of your time than uh, should, but no, not at all. I man. love, I, I love that that you, you know you told me you had like an XR one hundred or something like that, and uh, it, that's that's what it's all about, man. Like, I I get jealous to this day when I see like I was recently with someone who is not a professional rider, but is involved in the industry, like kind of, kind of like you know highly up there in the industry. And a truck passed us on the freeway with two just old clapped out dirt bikes. And it was like two young kids and like a beat up old truck. And they kind of made fun of them. Like this, this person I was with was kind of like, Oh, look at these clowns. And I was like, Whoa, dude, hang on. I was like, look, these two guys right here, these two kids on these clapped out dirt bikes, and their old beat up truck are going to go out to some sand pit and they're going to have more fun than I've had in 18 years of doing this professionally because those guys don't have any pressure on them. They don't have to learn anything. They don't have sponsors nagging them to, you know, be the best. They don't, they're just going to go out there. They're going to take their shitty week out on these two clapped out bikes. And that's the best thing in the world. I think, you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. the, that's the best. That's what it's all about. That was the funnest times in the world for me. And now like when you kind of like when I ride now, I'm not complaining, but, you have an agenda. You, you're like, you're like, I have to learn this trick. I have to get this trick back. I have to make this better. Uh, you know, like I have all these sponsors in this, this tour that I have to do. There's like a lot of pressure on you. It kind of becomes a job. But like when you, when I hear stories about that, about just kids having fun on like, you know, XR 100s or whatever, that's what it's all about. That's the best thing in the world. I love that Bo. Yeah. It's like the simple things. Yeah. Like that's like the, the purest form of the that's, sport like you're just doing it just because that's like, why i escape. got into this yeah. and that's why like no one should ever trash people or whatever having like a crappy bike or you know whatever like dude just have fun man if you're having fun that's what it's all about it's not about sponsors and like paycheck and all this you know all this stuff that makes it a job like dude i wish that i could just go riding one day and just be like i have no nothing on my mind except for just having fun and that kind of goes back to why i still ride tracks more than i ride freestyle because i can go out there and not be the superstar freestyle guy i'm just a guy at the track having fun you know right i love that Bo. i think that's a, a great way to to end it for for the, the podcast so thanks again man and um Maybe I'll, I'll have you on another time uh, down the road. Hopefully not for an injury, but you yeah. know, your, your life I'm after trying to avoid that. motocross, <laughs> whenever that. <laughs> yeah. Well, stay safe out there, and, and thanks, thanks again. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.